The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features ensure that you can take on any adventure. What kind of features? Well, how about the available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud? Or the standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together? How about available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone? We're always trying to think about those great spring and summer getaways, but with a car like the Hyundai Santa Fe, anywhere can be your next adventure. To learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe, go to HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. I'm Tom Fernelli, and joining me today are two lovely gentlemen, William Bub Elliott and Daniel D.K. Cannell. Bub, D.K., how are you on this fine Monday? <laughs> is this uh, is this the Masters version yes. or is this the NPR okay. version? Yeah, I was curious. Yeah. <laughs> I just I spent all weekend watching golf, and I was just sitting there like, I could do this. I could call a golf tournament. So this is my uh, audition. For the are you going to take team. any? Uh, are you going to take any shots at the live tour like Jim Nance did with Brooks Kepka? No, he said I will. I will respect CW? the course. I will yeah. respect the event, unlike that disrespectful Jim Nance. <laughs> but no, I think you like CW. <laughs> that was a good. That show. was a great low key <laughs> yes. just shot that everybody picked up on. It was so good. Jim Nance will not be calling Pac-12 games in the future if that's the case. <laughs> <laughs> wasn't that his last isn't that he, isn't he like focusing on nfl now i think that might have been his last wasn't it no i think he's just, just finishing the, with the final four yeah he's still gonna do the masters in the nfl i believe i could be wrong i I'm no, wrong i think you're right i did see he was giving up a couple things but i don't maybe i wouldn't give up the masters are you kidding me and be 85 and well, on my deathbed if i was him i mean look lundquist gave up college football right mm-hmm. but uh but still does the masters mm-hmm. and I, I thought he had a great TV moment back like 20-something years ago, either 03 or 04 during the NCAA tournament. CBS used to run these like made-for-TV movies, and, and maybe they still do. And I, I'm pretty sure it was him on the call or, or somebody even older than him. And he had to read a promo for like locusts or spring break shark attack or so, like, something like that. And he was like, <laughs> I, I, I think he, we had like a kind of a hot mic situation. I remember watching this in my dorm room. And like, Did you notice? Yeah, I'm sure that'll do well. <laughs> <laughs> you're like yeah you don't give a crap anymore your give a crap meter is pretty low there was interesting yesterday i did notice when he was on the call there was a little bit of darth vader in it like the like there was some breathing behind him was like oh man and i didn't notice it with so many other people but yeah he was he was excited i guess those pimento cheese sandwiches you kind of just lose your breath a little bit dude i was i was just thinking because like you know they had all the coverage like all weekend on like masters.com and on Paramount plus where, you know, they're doing like the featured groups and like Shane Bacon is doing the announcing for the featured groups. Shane's great. But Shane and I used to blog together at fan house like 15 years ago. And I'm sitting there thinking, man, if, if Shane can be go to this where he's calling the masters now, if he can go from lowly golf blogger to calling the masters, why can't the cover three just get like a couple holes? Like they have, 
They have four, five, and six cam. They have the amen corner cam. Obviously, your first couple of holes are important, then 16, 17, and 18. Just give us like the eighth hole. The three of us, and Chip can join if he wants, just calling the eighth hole all weekend long. <laughs> the hole nobody cares about. It'll be fine. If he wants, Chip, Chip would, would quick cover three to call the Masters in, in an instant. In a heartbeat. I might too. <laughs> so the, the weather was pretty bad this weekend, mm-hmm. uh, but also the weather was bad for all these spring games we're going to talk about today. Uh, we're going to have to slow play some of this stuff like Patrick Cantley because like, I'm not really sure we can fill an hour on just spring games. Uh, well, we could start by making fun of Texas A&M then because speaking of slow players, Sam Bennett, the the amateur oh. who finished he was he wasn't exactly moving quick himself but there is the obvious joke that you know late august and september he was on top of the leaderboard but then conference play rolled around in, in november and he just fell off at the end it, it didn't well then when then you get the story and you feel kind of bad making fun of that joke like it felt a little bit bad because it was such an unbelievable story he had a with great his dad as the inspiration yeah. and the tattoo he put on him did you see his uh where he so today he's playing in the Aggie Invitational, so he mm-hmm. has to play thirty six holes and he has to walk. And somebody said, "Are you back to carrying your own bag?" And he said, "Yeah, that's what you do in college golf." And then they followed up and they said, "Are you going to take a push cart?" And he said, "No, this isn't Stanford." So I, <laughs> I like this guy. Then all right, I, yeah. Cardinal. Yeah, he's got a little swag to him. Yeah, I like him too because during the weekend, and they were asking him about you know like when he was at the top of the leaderboard he's in second for a large portion of the weekend and he's like he's like yeah when i play my best golf i can win this yeah <laughs> i was like oh i love this kid or when he said the place where he won the u.s amateur at ridgewood was I think more it was. difficult yeah, yeah. Uh, i was like that course was tougher than this one <laughs> apparently an invite back <laughs> apparently that was true like a lot of these golf bloggers started talking and they said like the where, where the u.s am or, or NCAA or whatever that was was like crazy baked out that weekend and it was just it was well, impossible. There's a lot of courses that are harder than Augusta. I mean, it's pretty wide open. You can blow your driver pretty much a lot. You can spray it a little bit, and you can still have a shot. It's all about the greens. And I think that's mm-hmm. what happened. You know, with the weather, they were worried about them. It slowed them down somewhat, so they didn't have as much teeth in them. But that's what everybody I've talked to. And I'm, you know, I've been there, and wa- I've watched, but you don't get a feel to when you're playing it. But I think the greens are like the big, you know, that's the big challenge with there and being in the right position. Like if you're not on the right side of the green, it's like you're hitting a three putt or a four putt potentially, which we saw John Rom doing the first hole was a four putt. So keeping this to college football, this is kind of like, I mentioned this in the text thread this morning, the masters was kind of like the college football playoff this year. Brooks Kepka coming back from the live tour, which by the way, the live tour guys did pretty well overall, but Brooks Kepka comes back the, the Cinderella run. In first after the third round, kind of like TCU. Nobody saw it coming. But then you get to that 15th game, that final of the title game, and the wheels come off because you ran into George's John Rom and just got absolutely blown out of the water at the end there. But uh, there was some college football news that did happen this weekend that we should probably get to before we also discuss the spring games. One of the biggest stories of the weekend was recruiting-wise. A kid with an awesome name, Air Noland, a four-star quarterback, committed to Ohio State. So finally, Ohio State has another talented quarterback on its roster to throw to its talented receivers. But what can you tell us about Air Nolan? Air Nolan, so uh, 6'3", buck 95, four-star quarterback for us in the 2024 class. Uh, 24-7 Sports has another 55th rated player and the number seven quarterback. I think we talked an episode or, or maybe a week ago about how this is not quite as good of a quarterback class as we had last year, right? It's probably a little bit better than what we had uh, two cycles ago. Lefty, really quick release. Oh, he's a lefty? Yeah, he's a lefty. Um, oh, I love lefty quarterbacks. Me too. Get, it does gets the ball so nicely. Like, he gets the ball out on time. He's really accurate. 8,000 8, yards so far in his high school career with, with his senior year. Still left to play. Pretty decisive, experienced guy. You know, a, a good athlete. He does run the 100 and the 200. Uh, like, not amazing times, but it, I think it still says something that your quarterback there uh, is is running track um, now? He's twenty eight and three as a starter, which is generally a good indication. Like we want your high school quarterback to, if you're a stud, to be able to kind of will your team to victory. That, that you you can overcome a lot of things. I think maybe the the to you know kind of tamp down expectations on that slightly. 
Last year, his team, Langston Hughes, sent guys to Ohio State, Georgia, Auburn, Miami, Middle Tennessee, Toledo, FAMU, and a couple other FCS schools. And so this it's year, a decent roster. Yeah, exactly. So, like, <laughs> yes, you are putting up insane numbers. 8,000 yards with your senior year still to go is, is nuts. And 28-3 is obviously nuts. But he is playing on uh, one of the most loaded rosters in the state of Georgia. His tight end last year, Jelani Thurman, went to Ohio State. Pretty nice athlete. And, uh, yeah, like, why would you not want to commit to Ohio State, given what they've been doing receiver recruiting-wise with, with Brian Hartline? They have Jeremiah Smith, who, you know, we, we, we think is one of the best receivers coming along in a long time. Last year, they got, what was it, three of the top seven, I think, <laughs> in the country. So, pretty nice, uh, pretty nice get for those guys. So, he played at the Ohio State of high schools? That's basically what you're telling me because like you go, I mean, that's how you could have taken out his name and described CJ Stroud with the talent that's around him and why he's going to be. And I think it is one of those things that it is tough to evaluate, but I'd probably be more concerned if he was going to, um, you know, a a mid tier big 10 school as opposed to Ohio state. Like, you know, I mean, like this is very much, and we're starting to see this, cycle of quarterbacks come through where it does feel like plug and play as long as you kind of execute the offense you're gonna have top tier talent to spread it around to where i think you should see more of the same type of production out of them no doubt about it uh he also had an interesting quote uh that he gave to uh to steve wilfong i don't know if you guys saw this or not uh but his quote was uh, they develop black quarterbacks into nfl caliber quarterbacks so i got to thinking about this because their their finalists were uh he had like six finalists, but m- most in the industry g- agree it came down to AM and Miami. And so I was like, look, Jimbo has a pretty good track record developing black quarterbacks as well. Damian Craig, EJ Manuel, Jameis Winston. Uh, Ohio State's just, and I guess Cristobal's offense, not really, right? But Whoops, that's not, yeah. yeah, that's not to imply like that they can't or, or won't, just they don't have the track record of it. Ohio State recently, though, I mean, <laughs> Haskins, right? Mm-hmm. J- JT Barrett, uh, Justin Fields, CJ Stroud. I, I don't hear this talked about quite as much anymore. Like I remember when Jameis was coming out, it was definitely a thing. Like if you go to Alabama, will you play? And since then, obviously, mm-hmm. Alabama's had you know several black quarterbacks who've done really well. Uh, but prior to that, they didn't have a huge history of of playing black quarterbacks. I don't hear this talked about as much anymore. So it was interesting that it still mattered. Uh, to Aaron Nolan, and certainly something Ohio State was able to capitalize on here. I mean, I definitely think it's something they could sell. But I, I also think, like you could, you mentioned, the guys that Jimbo's had. Jameis is, was the last black quarterback he developed. Obviously, first pick, pretty good job, won a national title with him. But how old was Aaron Nolan when that happened? Because that was what right. 20, 2013? So he was probably eight years old. Man, yeah, I mean, so he was first pick in the twenty fifteen draft. So yeah, he was he was probably eight or nine. Yeah. God, that blows my mind when I think about that, how old the recruits were, just the stuff that was not even long ago, just like recent college football stuff. It's like, yeah, Jameis Winston won a national title at Florida State. That was like a couple years ago. It's like, no, no, it was it was a decade ago. These kids were still in third grade. They didn't care. Do you think it was – so this this one – it's and it's kind of like a sign of our society today where every single discussion we have has to resolve around race. And I think you'd be foolish to think that the recruiting game didn't come into this. Do you think this was a something that he was looking for or something that Ohio State was selling? Because See, I, I think, I, and kudos, I mean, if you're Ohio State, yeah. why wouldn't you capitalize on it? But I, And I think you'd be crazy to think that it doesn't come up in conversations with families but at some point, like you gave, a, there's a laundry list. Was Tennessee in this group? I thought I saw Tennessee had on the table. There was like six. There were six that the they table. weren't really considered like a true finalist finalist. It was pretty much right. Miami, Miami A&M and Ohio State. I, some people thought it was really just Miami and, and Ohio State. Right. Um, Tennessee has a kid from um, uh, from South Georgia already uh, committed to them now. I just think that's one where you like, I, I feel like Ohio state sold him on that. And I would too, if I was them, right. You've got a really good track record of having black quarterbacks elevate and go to the next level. But I, I don't know. I, I just, it just, I just think like it's like recruiting tactic. Yeah. yeah I, I think it's probably more recruiting, but I also think that like kind of what you, you were getting to, but it's like, to me at this point, it's like, well, 
yeah, the, like look at the Heisman winners. Like it's, I don't think it's, there's been a shortage of very good black quarterbacks at the college level moving to the NFL. I think that's just the way the sport is moving. Mm-hmm. But um, like, else, do you guys think that was something that I mean, I think I don't know, twenty years ago, that oh, was yeah. probably a legitimate. Oh like yeah, worry. You know, it was like very long going time. somewhere yeah, where, like, as a black quarterback, you'd have a real shot to compete for the job. And we're going to switch you positions. Yeah, you know, I don't we're know if he's smart receiver. enough to play yeah. the position. Yeah. And that kind of crap. Yeah, no, I, it's. I guess, like, I don't know. I kind of think of college football a little bit as I don't know what the term you want to use, like post racial or something like that. But like, not really, like, not having a major impact on the decision of who's going to start at the quarterback. Or at least I'd hope. I would. But, I, I, that's one of the things I liked and loved about playing the sport of football or playing athletics in general is they all feel like the ultimate meritocracy, right? Like the best yeah. player is going to play regardless of race. But I think now it's even more so open to different things. And I, I think probably before the question for the NFL came along so long because you didn't see him in the NFL had a different style of quarterback. But now that the NFL has taken concepts and looked at the success of black quarterbacks and said, wait a second, we could have, you know, RPOs run and we can have systems run and look at the success they've had in college where now you can see it have success. And now it's, I don't even think it's a thought anymore for teams when they're evaluating at all. I agree. Speaking of evaluating and, you know, spring football is a time for maybe trying some new things. Another little under-the-radar kind of story coming out of spring practice this weekend. Harold Perkins, who was one of the most impressive freshmen in the country last year at LSU, will all remember the game he had against Arkansas, in which it was one of those rare instances where a defensive player just kind of takes over a game and practically wins it by himself for his team. Dominant, not dominant, but he had the ability to be a dominant edge rusher last year at times. He's playing it, Mike. In spring practice this week, is LSU seriously considering taking one of their best edge presences and moving him inside? I I, th- I saw this note, and, and our Chris Hummer drops in our twenty four seven Sports Slack, and that he he and and, and Trey Scott kind of comped it to like Micah Parsons, right? It was like okay, in Dallas, he pretty much is is a, a tear off the edge, and I think that's probably a pretty good good comp in some ways for Perkins. But I also, on the other hand. I think Matt House is an excellent defensive coordinator for LSU. Like they, they loved him at Kentucky. That the, the Chiefs liked him a lot. Apparently, like I think that's a really good hire by Brian Kelly, and he has to be seeing something in there. I, I do recall like reading, reacting, shedding blocks in the run game was occasionally a problem for Perkins. A and M ran him over. Like the, it just he was not really a factor in that game late in the year. So I'm not going to sit here and be like, look. I'm on a podcast. He's working with these guys every day in practice, but it is like it's kind of eyebrow raising, right? Like, like yeah, when I saw it in the notes, I was like, huh? Yeah, <laughs> doesn't make much sense to me. Like, you take a guy like that who could do what he does off the edge, and it's why would I want to take him off the ball? Why would I want to take him off the line of scrimmage? And maybe you know what? Maybe he's just so damn talented that wherever you put him, he's going to be making plays. But I just feel like value wise, I would rather have that talent on the edge than in the middle of the field. Do I mean, if think? you're if you're him too, if you're the player, I mean, I just read an article the other day that was talking about our linebackers, the new running back as far as draft mm-hmm. draftability. Oh, yeah. You know, like they're letting li- like if you're Harold Perkins, you're probably like, wait a second, where's my value biggest? And then, like credit to him for being whatever's good for the team, and he's already showcased the ability to rush the passer, so maybe that's there. I think it could be a sign of great things for LSU potentially if they have the depth to move somebody like that around and say, Hey, we're not going to lose that much production. That could be a great thing for LSU. If they're thinking about moving a player like that to another position, maybe it's a weakness at middle linebacker too. But if you feel comfortable moving him, I mean, that, that I think could be a good sign for LSU. Yeah. No linebacker, as far as the draft is concerned, is definitely becoming like off ball linebacker edge guys are still the same, but like the middle guys are, that's definitely becoming a, kind of running back position because I look at like I know there were the injury problems last year but look at Kobe Dean like that is a yep. guy who not very long ago would have probably been a top 15 pick at worst and that he was sliding into what the second round it's just you, Devin you look Lloyd at, was incredible at Utah he slid mm-hmm. late first I think I mean they, they just don't take a middle linebacker high it's not a yeah, position like, the more analytical NFL front offices become 
like the first round has just become a selection of quarterbacks, receivers, offensive linemen, defensive linemen, edge rushers, and corners. And that is really it. Linebackers and running backs, you can get off tight ends. If you're truly special, they'll probably work you in early, but they also feel like they, you know, a lot of those guys, they can get in the second, third round. Like we've talked about it with Ryan Wilson last week on the show. This tight end class is seen as really deep but you're probably not going to see a bunch of them go in the first round. You might see one or two go late first, but other than that, teams are probably going to wait because value-wise, there are just better positions to have on rookie deals than there are others. So, um, yeah, but uh, coming up, that's enough draft talk. We did have spring games this weekend, so coming up on the other side, I'm going to break down some of the spring games that took place. Auburn, NC State, Vanderbilt, and more next. Did you know that while over 60% of Americans dream of starting their own business, less than 20% of them take the first step? The reason? Building a business is tough. Taylor Brands is simplifying the business journey. From launching and managing to growing your business, Taylor Brands isn't just another tool. It's your online business partner from launch to success. With Taylor Brands, building your dream business becomes an effortless experience. Their comprehensive platform guides you through every step, ensuring you have everything you need in one place. From LLC formation to bookkeeping, invoicing to acquiring licenses and permits, and even setting up your bank account, Taylor Brands handles it all seamlessly. And our listeners will receive 35% off Taylor Brands LLC formation plans using our link, taylorbrands.com slash CBS Sports. That's T-A-I-L-O-R-B-R-A-N-D-S dot com slash CBS Sports. So start your business journey today with Taylor Brands. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, back here on Cover 3. There were spring games this weekend, and one of them, gentlemen, just disgusted me. Absolutely disgusted me. The Auburn spring game, big deal. Hugh Freeze's first game as coach, spring game. The... the the format was the defense started with a 24 to nothing lead and then, you know, typical spring game shenanigans with weird scoring rules and all that kind of stuff. But the point was after the game, the winning team was going to get steak and the losing team was going to get hot dogs and the score finished 24, 24. What the <laughs> hell? This is so what did everybody doing. get them. Did everybody they all get wins. Them? Everybody's going to get a participation trophy for playing in the spring game. What's going on? You have to, you have to have like a one play winner takes yes, all yes. something. I mean, you got, even if the field goal kickers come out there and they both have to kick, you know, until one misses, you got to have some sort of doing it. You can't have everybody win. Do like a fourth and goal from the five or something. Just have it settled. You can't have this. Oh, it's a tie. Yay. Everybody gets steak or hot dogs. Yay. What, what's the midline here between hot dogs and steak? Like, a burger, but not a great burger. A good burger, <laughs> like an overcooked burger. <laughs> yeah, like like a medium well burger. You know, we're just like, <sighs> okay, all right. Unless you guys fine, get a medium well, then apologies. No, medium rare guy here. Yeah, all day, every day. Danny, medium, straight okay. medium. All right, okay, that's fine. That's fair. <laughs> Kobe so beef burger. I, I couldn't Kobe do a podcast. Yeah. If I found out you were a well-done guy, I just couldn't keep doing the show. It would just... No, it annoys me. My wife orders my kids well done. Like she's worried about them being undercooked. And I always tell her, I'm like, you're ruining these kids. You got to toughen them up. Thank right. you. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, when I make them, like my son likes them. And when Maggie makes them, not, she's like, he's like, these aren't juicy. I'm like, yeah, because you, you nuked them. This is... <laughs> so anyways. Auburn's game finishes 24-24, lame. But was there anything that stood out? We look at it, the quarterbacks. Uh, now, we should mention, wasn't the best weather. Like, all that rain rolling through Augusta, Auburn's not too far from the west. They were getting most of that same weather system, so it wasn't great for passing. The quarterbacks weren't, weren't spectacular. They went a combined 5 for 12 for 60 yards. 
Robbie Ashford went one for three, 39 yards. Holden Garriner was three for five, 17. TJ Finley, one for four, for four yards. And he ran three times for 13. Um, I mean, do we need to be concerned about any of this? Or is it just like the weather killed this game? I Okay, so in watching this, I didn't think there was a real opportunity to shine. But even like adjusted for the weather, this passing offense did not look good like it has a long way to go if this team is going to have like a potentially 500 record in in, in conference uh, now i did see more of what they did towards the end of auburn last year where they just ran the heck out of robbie ashford he ran a bunch of zone reads that is something that hugh freeze quarterbacks typically will do they'll, they'll run a lot of zone read stuff uh, i kind of liked the offensive line here Honestly, yeah. I, I thought Dylan Wade was a really good pickup from Tulsa to, for these dudes. He, he was a guy that like, I noticed a real drop-off when he got hurt in like mid-October when he was playing for Tulsa. Um, and the, the Jones kid, the guy that's center uh, from East Carolina, is is pretty good player. So I think Auburn probably better on the O-line. What did we say about these guys last year, though, when it came to receivers? Uh-huh. Yeah, that's great. I'm not seeing anything better so far. Yeah. Like, these guys ain't scaring anybody in the SEC. They're going to need to hit the portal hard for receivers and maybe for a quarterback, but they got to find some receivers in the portal. And that's there's always the chance for that because after the spring games, then we typically see the second wave of guys hitting the portal who have a better idea of where they are in the depth chart. But do you think at least part of the appeal of Hugh Freeze is maybe you don't have the four-star, five-star spectacular wide receiver room, but a coach who offensively can possibly scheme these guys open? Yeah, especially if the run game's there. I, I think so. Um, you know, like that was encouraging to see how well they ran the ball at times. And I think the, the offensive line was better. Also, not quite so sure that Auburn has the same level of like D line that they have had for about the past quarter century or so. <laughs> right. I, they may need a, need a year or two to get that back up to snuff. But yeah, like he does, Hugh Freeze does have a track record of, of scheming guys just WTFO, right? Mm-hmm. So almost any receiver can do that if it's just on scheme. Four out of the five linemen, offensive linemen on the depth chart are transfers, either JUCO or you know somewhere somewhere prior playing experience. I mean, we've seen this work other places to turn around a roster quickly, but I thought the offensive line was pretty impressive too. I I do think like I, it was such like you got wind, you have rain, and it's just and cold. Like to me, I look at a pass game and I it's. Those are like the worst combination. You'd rather have snow if, without wind, like just the combination of all of them make it pretty much impossible. I mean, it looked miserable. My guy, Chris Doring out there interviewing who freeze just looked like it was an absolute just mess. Um, so I don't think you take too much from that one, but I thought the offensive line ran it pretty well. Uh, it, uh, enemy of the podcast, Avery Jones apparently played pretty well. The center transfer from East Carolina. Good for him. Very happy. Good job, Avery. <laughs> do you think ashford's the guy i mean there there were some interesting comments from finley after where he was talking about hey if they bring in another transfer i'm out of here like i i don't know finley like accountability has to be something reliability has to be somebody and somebody who you know takes some time off during the season i and i know mental health is at the top of everybody's mind and it's important um but you do have to be available for your teammates i just I wonder if they will go with some of that more run-based stuff, kind of like when you envision what Malik Willis was doing at Liberty with Hugh Freeze, if that's kind of the offense that they go with. If he was going to transfer, like if he's like, hey, I'm out, like do you think Auburn would help him pack his bags? Right. Because I, I think they – I mean, he's not been a, a – he's been a below-average quarterback mm-hmm. for almost the entirety of his career at Auburn, and he had a couple nice moments at LSU. Um I don't know that Auburn would be freaking out if he if he were going to leave. I think the real question is like, who can you go get in the portal? Yeah, so that's that's more interesting. You might have to wait and see in May, right? Well, yeah, see for who, sure. See who enters because right now, or you're, or you're back channeling it now, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, if, I just if you're smart. I mean, I know the weather's, but even if the weather was nice, the quarterback position was a problem for Auburn last year, and there's really been no clear cut kind of like weren't they in on Grayson McCall? And then that fell through. Yeah. So, I mean, they've clearly 
been interested in finding somebody to come in to compete for that job, if not just take that job. So I think it's we're probably going to see them active in the portal once the post spring wave hits. Let's say something positive about Auburn. Uh, okay. Keldrick Falk is a true freshman defensive lineman who was committed to Florida State for a long time. He freeze gets in there, kind of demonstrates just the, um, the difficulty everybody has recruiting the state of Alabama if you're not Auburn or Alabama, right? Like you can do a great job on these guys for 51 weeks and then boom, uh, Auburn turns up the heat on your new coach. You're like, oh, I've always wanted to play for Auburn. I'm, I'm flipping, right? Uh, I thought he flashed really, and looked really good. Big bodied kid, like he'll be like a 6'4, 6'5, 280. You know, dude who can stay on the edge, but would play with some real power. Shock you and has enough burst to, to be a to be a special guy. Uh, that he was highly rated and, and looked the part. Okay, so now that we said something nice, bottom line, post spring hot take. <laughs> need an answer now. Will Auburn be a basketball school for one more year, or is there reason to be excited about this football team this fall? Who do they have in the non-con? I think they're six and six, seven and five. Like, so, yeah, they're I a bowl team, right? Like, yeah, I think they're a bowl team, but that's like, that's okay. It's like, that's a step in the right direction, you know? Yeah. Like, let's bring some stability and start. And then I think you got to get a whole, you know, you got to get recruiting cycle, more transfers, let them spend some money. Oh, guys, you know, they get uh, one of their SEC road games is Vandy this year. So, and, so and they're, they're going to go 4 0 in the non con. <laughs> I mean, UMass, Cal, Samford, New Mexico State. So there, so there's a chance we could have a nice, fun fall if we're Auburn fans. They'll be somewhere between like. <sighs> they'll be three worst and case oh. four and eight, best case nine and three. I know that's a wide error bar, but like you have a new coach, we don't know what the quarterback's going to be. They'll be three and zero, oh, but there's also a very good chance they'll be three and three by the time we hit mid October. Because after those first three games of the year, they're at Texas A and M, home to Georgia, bye, and then at LSU. So, like that is a very rough entrance into conference play. Yeah, I think their games that are like the most intriguing and what will determine their season are like those, like Mississippi State, Arkansas. Ole Miss, Ole Miss on the Plains. Yeah, like those three games are going to determine like if this year is a success or not, right? Like I don't think anybody's going to think they beat LSU, Alabama. Like if you did, it'd be incredible. But those other ones will be like how the season's judges as a success. And the good news is, is like right after that Arkansas game on November 11th, if it's not going well, that is probably when basketball season starts up. So, <laughs> I mean... This is it's all falling into place for Auburn fans. Uh, moving over What's to the, the longest Auburn's had to be a basketball program? Oh, God, I don't see. That's the thing. They've the only just school. become a basketball school like this is not I don't as far as I know, they don't really have like Charles Barkley was a long time ago. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> there is a very long kind of dead period, but they have joined since the SEC kind of had this little basketball renaissance where they just had all that extra money and nowhere to put it. So let's put it in basketball. Auburn has been one of the better programs in the country. So, yeah, it's I think Auburn basketball will probably be better than Auburn football next season, but we could be wrong. Um, Speaking of basketball, let's move to the ACC. NC State also played in the same kind of wet weather conditions. But unlike Auburn, NC State went back in time to the hurricane game against Notre Dame and said, let's just chuck the ball all over the place in this rain and wind and see what happens. Like you you got in the notes here, bud. Brennan Armstrong threw the ball 28 times in the first half. <laughs> he ended up. Oh, wow. And then MJ Morris also said, but what was going on? Like, was it just the weather and or were they just not looking very good because this is a new offense. Robert and I is coming in. Tim Beck is left to take over the Coastal Carolina job. You've got a new coordinator, not only calling plays, but kind of installing a brand new offense. You bring in Brendan Armstrong, who is familiar with it from his time under a night in Virginia. Was this like just the weather or was this also like just weather and spring kind of everybody getting to know each other stuff? I think there's some of both. Uh, so you had some weather impacted throws. You had some throws that were just off target from both guys. MJ Morris did have a really long uh, completion, but other than that was, was generally not super effective. Armstrong at one point was 10 of 21 for 95. So that's really not, uh, not great. You, you, you want to be a little, little higher sure, on, on the bad. yards per attempt. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so that was, uh, that was not particularly good. I, I think, but I think that's, 
that's their that's Robert and I in a nutshell, though. Like yeah. even doesn't matter. Like we're throwing the ball. That's how yeah. we move the ball. So if you do get conditions like this, that's where you can get into some trouble. I would be a little bit worried about the NC State receivers, right? So uh, Pack Pride, our 24-7 sports NC State site, does a great job covering NC State. And they were like reading their recaps. I agreed. It was like, okay, yeah. Like didn't seem like anybody really important was missing for them. So like these are the dudes and these dudes don't look like dudes. Uh, so that's kind of problematic. They had some drops. They had some some routes that they ran wrong. And uh, the Pack Pride says like they're definitely going to need to hit the transfer portal for receivers after this. I guess in fairness, NC State kind of sneakily has one of the best corner duos in the country, right? Shane Battle and Aiden White are are good players. Like they'll, I don't know what round they're going to go in, but like they'll play pro ball. I'm fairly certain. So that's tough to get open against. But yeah, uh, work in progress for sure for uh, for NC State. Do you think this is truly a quarterback competition, or is this a let's make sure Morris doesn't leave? I. I think it's probably I think it's probably a competition because you do think you have something in Morris. So if he can right. be close, then I mean where where's Armstrong gonna go? Right? Is he gonna just quit if he doesn't win the job? No, Elks. he'll stick around, but that's why I think it that's why I think it's his job because he's got so much experience in this system. He's had so much success in it. He came there to play, not to say that it doesn't lock you, doesn't guarantee him the job, but I just wonder if they're stringing this out to make sure Morris doesn't leave. I think that's a fair question. Yeah. Um, but, like, you wanted to frame it as a competition. Do you want it to be this close, I guess? Possibly. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's good, actually, that Armstrong didn't blow him out of the water because that way Morris won't hit the portal this spring. Yeah. And I think ideally... You bring in Brennan Armstrong because you want somebody who knows the offense. So he's got to have a head start on it just from that aspect alone. Like MJ Morris is still learning this. Armstrong knows it. So he should have an advantage. And like you're saying, the fact he didn't have a huge advantage might have been the weather, might be the receivers, might just be that the competition is actually open and they don't really have to fake it because Armstrong is not running away with it. But my my gut is saying that when the season starts and NC State's first game of the year is against UConn on the road at Red. What the hell, ACC? Why are you? Uh, anyway, you're playing at the rent. Yeah. Why are oh. you scheduling road games against UConn? What's it got to be one of those two for ones, right? Because they don't want to actually pay the money. So like they, they, they go do a two for one. So they don't, they don't have to do you a, are a, a power five conference. Act like it. Just Jesus. Anyways. The teams that don't, don't do this are the teams that, that uh, I think want to get out of the league. NC State can lose that game. I was going to say that should be an easy win, but like they can lose that game on the road at the last year. The they UConn were they should have lost to uh, East Carolina. Remember, yeah. they almost lost that game. There was a missed field goal, I believe. Right? Oh man! Wow. I was, no. Their no. their road schedule has like the least intimidating environments in the league. By the way, like UConn, I know the rent. Okay, Virginia. <laughs> Virginia, Duke, Wake, and then Vatek. So, like, Vatek is somewhat intimidating. If but even then, by that point, although that could be senior day for Vatek. So, yeah. I was going to say, by that point of the season, they might be checked out. But if it's senior day, it'll probably be pretty raucous. But no, it's just, I don't know. That's I, now I'm just all mad about the scheduling. I hate the ACC for that. It is so damn stupid. All right. Well, while we're on the subject, time for the post spring hot take NC State. Based on what we saw this spring in the spring game, where are they going to go? What's the record? Eight and four or better or worse? It's a really good question. I'm going to check the schedule. They have Notre Dame in the non-conference, mm-hmm. right? Which is VMI difficult. Uh, Marshall at home at UConn, right? So non-con is most likely three and one. Like we we, we would say, yeah, uh, probably. So you're going to get three there. Can you go five and three in the league? So they host Louisville. They're at UVA. They're at Duke. They host Clemson. They host Miami. They're at Wake. They're at Vautech. They host North Carolina. Man. Eight and four is a good season for these guys, I think, in this year. Eight and four is what they've been every year, like the last three years. Eight and four. The back half of that schedule is tricky as hell, though. 
Because like you, you yeah. get the bye after the Duke game, but then you get Clemson to Miami and back to back weeks. And you know, we'll say what we want about Miami being, you know, disappointing all the time, but physically that's gonna be a tough game, especially the week after playing Clemson. And then you're going on the road to Wake, which yeah, Sam Hartman's gone, but I'm pretty sure it's probably still gonna be Wake Forest. It's still gonna be a good team that's on the road. Ooh, that could be tricky. So then you've got Virginia Tech on senior day, and then you finish with the home rivalry game against North Carolina. That back half of the season might be tough. Like it's going to be very interesting. Well, that's one of those ones that will be such like ACC scheduling either like, and they could all be crappy and it's like, Hey, NC state's eight or nine win team again, or they could turn things around or you could see them all beating each other up. And they're all about seven and five. I do think the the real key game for them is Louisville because I, I I would project you to lose to, to the Irish. Uh, who I, I'm fairly high on this year. Hear that, Notre Dame fans? Fairly high on you guys this year. Just want to let you know. Um, but if you if you get the Louisville game, then there's a pretty good chance that you start five and one, and then you go to Duke, which okay, and you get a bye week. So then you're you're potentially six and one if things go well for you, coming off a bye week, and you get Clemson for a homecoming. That's not an easy place to play, and then you get Miami the, the weekend after. I. Like that place when NC State is good is a really hard place to play. I, like I think it's as an ACC guy, like it's sneakily louder than like Virginia Tech, right? It, it when it's good. I've been in, in both. I think NC State is noticeably louder. Um, but if things don't go well, you don't have a lot of easy home games. Almost all your home games down the stretch are really tough, and your road games are if things like are losable if things are not going well. For sure. All right, moving on back to the SEC to another program near and dear to our hearts here at the Cover 3 podcast. Vanderbilt held its spring game over the weekend, and uh, I saw something just absolutely disgusting at this game. Just terrifying. From the uh, the the exclusive footage from Haley Simmons' Instagram account, <laughs> as the Vanderbilt players were walking onto the field, there were some young girls. One of them was holding a thing of cotton candy that was probably bigger than she was. And one of the Vanderbilt players snatched a piece of the cotton candy from her as he walked by, literally stealing candy from a child. What kind of program are you running there, Clark? I mean, but if I'm Clark Lee, I'm like, hey, look, that's family atmosphere, right? Yeah. Yeah. If if our player wants wants to eat some some of the cotton candy from from Barton's daughter, I mean, that's that's family. Barton should make him run laps for that. I don't care. Uh, But anyways, as far as the actual game was concerned, what did we see? What did we like? What what are we concerned about? All right. I, I watched as much as I could of this. AJ Swan, I think, is still your QB one. They liked him last year. I didn't didn't seem like he made any kind of big jump, but nobody else really is somebody who I think would would take his spot. They still have, I think, Ken Seals for depth, right? Mm-hmm. The major not the major. One of the major worries I had for this team was that they lost Ray Davis to transfer. And I thought he was a really good back in the league. But shout out Barton. This true freshman they got, Cedric Alexander. He's got some real juice to him, man. This is a guy that I, I think Vanderbilt fans should be pretty excited about. Uh, I think he has a decent chance to like be their starter. Ran 11 4 as a junior in high school, 5 9, 200. Like that's, that's not bad, man. What did you see? Like the I did not get to catch it. What? Get- you were in Philadelphia. Your daughter at the. Yeah. The volleyball tournament. Watched a lot of volleyball. All right. Um, family atmosphere. That's what we wanted. Yeah. yeah. He was paying attention to his family. <laughs> O-line, like, I didn't really – I don't know, man. Like, you got a lot of those guys back, and they didn't really blow me away. So that's a little bit concerning because you're going to face better D-lines than you're going to face in the SEC than you, than you will just in Vanderbilt's spring game. But maybe that's part of what made um, Alexander look good, right, was that he – some of the stuff he did, he created on his own. So that was encouraging. Um, they, I think they might have hit on this kid, Aeneas Cosmo, defensive end from Stanford in the transfer portal. It's so hard to take transfers. Look, it's like like academic school and academic school violence mm-hmm. here. I mean, this yeah. is, you know, that's pretty, uh, that's pretty wild. So, um, I well, at least they'll take them though. Stanford won't take anybody, right? No. Yeah, and <laughs> and I think Vanderbilt somewhat plays ball with graduate transfers, whereas Stanford like kicks their own graduates out. Because they they're like, oh no, we're not helping you get into grad school here. You know. 
All right, so bottom line, hit me with the take. Vanderbilt, last year, what was their win total last year? Three and a half or two and a half? I thought it was two and a half. All right, we're going to bump it up. It's year two. Because they were over by October, right? Yeah, they damn right they were. We're going to set it at three and a half. We want progress. Are we going over or under based on what we saw Saturday? Nothing else, just based on what we saw in the spring. Oh, over. Mm, Daniel. I, but, but not by a lot, but I think over. I mean, they could start 2-0, and like easy, because they've got Hawaii, which, you know, they won last year in Honolulu. It's in Nashville this year. You got Alabama A&M the week after that. At Wake, tricky road trip. Wake's a very good program. And you got UNLV on the road at Allegiant Stadium. I think that should be a Vandy win. So I'm thinking we're entering conference play with a 3-1 and record, and then the question becomes, how many SEC games do they win? Right, they got to get one to, to to get to get to four. They'll get another one. Yeah, I, I think they will too. Because they so, oh, look, you you get Auburn at home, you get Missouri at home, you get Kentucky at home. I don't think you're going to beat Ole Miss. Uh, Georgia's one of their road games, which if you're Bandy, you absolutely want to play them on the road. Tennessee's one of their road games. South Carolina, if you like them, that probably matters that they're one of their road games. They do have to go to the Swamp. Um, they beat the Gators last year in Nashville, so Florida will be out for for that big revenge game. So I, I think over. I mean, they'll probably hang this number at four mm-hmm. or or four and a half juiced under. If I had to guess, and he's come out in about two to three weeks. I'll take the over here. Let's put the screws to him. Can Vandy? Not saying will. Can Vandy realistically get to a bowl game in twenty twenty three? Yeah. I mean, they won't be favored to, but yeah. yes. I mean, you look at, I, I kind of, I, I agree. I don't, I don't, I, now I feel bad. I don't want to put that much pressure on it, but like starting with Kentucky and Mizzou at home in SEC play, is there two, like I, Kentucky, I expect will be better this year in a weird way, even though they lose, you know, their first round quarterback. But like, I don't think they're unbeatable by any stretch. I don't think Mizzou is unbeatable by any stretch. So this is a team that could be, like, it's not unrealistic to think they'll be five and one by the time October hits. They'll be over by October. If if you are good enough to expect a sweep of UNLV, Alabama A&M, and Hawaii. Which they should. Yes. Then your odds of getting three more out of Vanderbilt, Kentucky, Missouri. Guess we put Florida in there until proven otherwise. Host Auburn. Auburn. You can get at, South Carolina. At Ole Miss. At South Carolina. The week before, or I guess that's not the week before they play. They play Clemson because there's probably a buy there. How do we know they're not four? No, we don't. That's be. what I'm saying. Yeah. Uh, I, mean, I, put, I, put Wake I think category. Wake Forest yeah. doesn't get better defensively. You could see them be push them around, out, run the football. Yeah. Oh man, Wake's going to win the SC or Vandy's going to win the SEC. <laughs> Heard it here first. I covered three. Um, all right, let's hit the break. After the break, there were other spring games that were played this week, and we'll we'll have some few notes. And uh, yeah, coming up next. Robert Half Research indicates nine out of ten hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, back here. Before we get to... The other spring games, there was another question we had earlier, and I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not used to this hosting thing, so I forgot to put it on there, but it's from FreezeCamp55. If Vandy was in a different or easier Power 5 conference, how would they stack up to that league? Would they be middle-of-the-road ACC team, for example? Yeah. Uh, middle-of-the-road, like, 
in the ACC, it's a 14 team league. So like, what are, what are we defining that as like middle four teams, middle six teams? I look at it as not Clemson, Florida yeah. State. Like if Miami. look at the success Duke and Wake are having in the ACC. Yeah. There's but no Wake, reason Vandy Wake wouldn't do the same. tasted Vandy last year. It did, but I'm saying in Nashville. If, well, yeah, but Vandy was in a situation where they're starting over, whereas Wake is kind of an established program with Dave Clawson there for a while. I just think that if you put this program in the long run in the ACC, I don't see any reason why they couldn't be because unlike the SEC, the ACC has a lot more kind of smaller private schools. In the SEC, Vandy's the only one. Wouldn't they be like Duke? Wouldn't you see them being just like Duke? You know, up and down, if they get the right, you know, they could be an eight-win yeah. team. Mm-hmm. Every once in a while, maybe, you know, they, Duke has made the ACC championship game, you know, in years where some teams were bad. But I, I think they'd be the equivalent to Duke. They'd have better, better resources than Duke. That's for sure. Like, if they had, that's the thing. If they went to the ACC, they lose a lot of the, the money that they have coming in, which has helped them get to this level. Agree with that. Um you may get more fan support if you're not losing games all the time too. So like, like we, we shouldn't necessarily assume that they're always going to, you know, like yeah. the, the stands will, will always look like they often do. Um, I would sort of have them in that like bottom four range, but not like consistently the bottom one. Mm-hmm. Like for the vast majority of all of our lifetimes, Vanderbilt has been the worst team in the SEC, literally like the worst team and almost always by like an order of magnitude worse than the next team. So it would also depend on what they do with their non-conference schedule. A lot of the ACC teams schedule really good teams in the non-conference, like a, a, at least a guaranteed loss per year for many, for many of these guys. So if they're one of these silly teams that does that and they get the Notre Dame in the non-conference thing, then, you know, like a 2-10, and 3-9 is very much on the table still for them if they were to be in the ACC. Um, but are they better than like – if they're in the Big Ten, are, do they have better results than like a Rutgers or, or Northwestern? Yeah, I think they're better than Rutgers. I think everybody's better than Rutgers. <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> like aren't I, they? I mean, you hate to like pin them because they're so similar, but I think they could be like Northwestern again, yeah, a team that's played sure. for the Big Ten championship and they've made bowls. But then you know if things go off the rails. They could be a three-win team. Mm-hmm. And you also, you know, it's even just like down to the fact that, you know, they're in a city, just like Northwestern is just outside of a large city. They're small private schools. I think there's a lot of similarities. Like for some teams, making a bowl is the, is how we define success. I, I Within the current confines of the SEC schedule, I, I think being in a bowl hunt in November should define success for Vanderbilt. Like I think putting the bar at make a bowl is might, maybe too high, depending on the non-conference schedule. But Anything that requires you to, to go three and five in the SEC is is a really big challenge historically for, for the Commodores. What did James Franklin, he had him at nine wins? They won a yeah. ball game? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But if we talk about like control your own destiny teams or teams that like really benefit from, like I, I put together a little graphic on, on my Twitter over the weekend. I was like, hey, the team that probably should win the SEC, Georgia. The two teams that definitely could if they play up to their potential, Alabama and LSU. Two teams that need the, t- the above teams to get hurt and play to their potential, A&M and Tennessee. Everybody else, no shot for the league. Like, and I think I got very little pushback on that except for some delusional, I think, Auburn and Florida fans. So, like, No I mean, way, delusional Auburn yeah, and Florida right. fans? <laughs> yeah. So I, I, if you think about it, Franklin did a tremendous job at Vanderbilt maximize what they could do internally and also caught a lot of good scheduling breaks. Like you need both to go eight and four, nine and three at Vanderbilt. Like let's not kid ourselves. You have to be the best damn version of Vanderbilt you can be. And you need some other teams to be just off the rails. Like Mark Rick was not maximizing Georgia at the time. Mm-hmm. Florida was clearly not maximizing at the time. South Carolina was a bit of a mess for part of the time and really good for the other time. Missouri had not been in the league yet, or they just got there? They were just there. Just there, okay. I, pl- I believe. Tennessee I, had like a million head coaches in the span of 10 years, so they were not exactly the, the you know, picture of stability at the time. You know, there's another one for us here. Maybe a topic for the – oh, this is from Don, Don Trado. Maybe a topic for the guys to discuss is Hugh Freeze pushing for spring games to be against other in-state schools or at the very least have a multi-scrimmage. This is an idea I've seen floated a lot this spring. 
Would doing this keep Danny from going to Philadelphia for his daughter's volleyball tournament and at home watching spring games? Yes, let's go. Makes the whole difference. I've been saying this for a while. Um, it always gets received really well from the fans. I think spring games are stale. Um, I think they could use an infusion of life, but I definitely think there are some significant roadblocks to it. Um, I thought it was great, too. The reception you had from um, Summerall at Troy was like, yep, I'll do it. Yeah, uh, Trent Dilfer mm-hmm. was like, when? Like, get me there tomorrow, I'll do it. I do wonder, though, like, if it really, if the discussions got much deeper, if it would actually come to fruition, I think it's a great idea. I would love to see it. I think you could could have the money there, the resource. I think TV networks would love it. I think the SEC network, ACC network, ESPN, they would love to air them. It'd be good exposure. Um, but it just feels like there could be some red tape issues. Like if you what, let yeah. one SEC team do it, do you have to let them all do it? Or do you make them all do it? You know, same with the ACC. Also, would Hugh let the game end in a tie? <laughs> My idea has always been, because I get there's travel uh, issues, is to have the Power 5 school play the closest, um, you know, e- even low, not group of five school, but like an HBCU, uh, like Florida, Florida State could play Florida A&M. Um, you could have uh, Florida play Bethune-Cookman. It's less than an hour away. Like Alabama plays Alabama A&M, and you could try to tie them in with HBCUs, and then it's really good exposure for both of them. Um, and then you could let the you could still pay the schools. You could give them the gate. You could give them part of the TV deal because I think you could sign a TV deal, whether it was streaming, whatever the suggestion was. I think you could sell it. I think for you know a pretty good number. Um, and I think the players would love it. Just speaking from a player standpoint, like you hate going against the same guys. I mean, by the time the spring game rolls around, you're giving audibles, and the defense is like. Watch the slant and go. Here it comes, you know, or they they just, you know, watch the weak side toss. They know your terminology. So from that standpoint, you get to go against different scheme, different talent. I just think it'd, it'd be a ton of fun. I, I was doing Cole Kublik and, and McElroy's show the other day, and they, they asked me about this. And I was like, I, in theory, I kind of like it, but also to Danny's point about logistics, that there are a lot of complications. Mm-hmm. Um, like, how do you split the gate receipts? Do you have to pay Troy to come? Like, what about Troy fans? Like, do they enjoy going to their home stadium and, and, and tailgating, you know, once, once in off season, what about your recruiting weekend that you might have at, at Troy that weekend? Like, are you getting kids on, on campus there? You're, you are giving, you're giving that up. Um, not to say that, like, obviously I was a huge Troy supporter this year and, and you know, bet them all the time. Uh, so not to say that they play dirty, but they play hard. And it makes you wonder like, would Auburn f- players give a damn about playing Troy? Because I know that Troy players would. Yes. They yes. would really care. And like, are they going a little bit harder than than your your Auburn guys are going in a spring game? You know what I'm saying? Like that to me is something that is kind of kind of important uh to to think about. So if you're Auburn, do you care about losing a spring game to Troy? Because Auburn and all these other teams, they hold a lot of guys out for the spring game. Bet you those okay. Troy guys are willing to play through a little bit of injury to show out against a Power Five team. If Auburn runs out kind of a skeleton squad and Troy wins at Auburn, does that yeah, impact you Auburn could, care? You could, I mean, but basically you could do it just like we do now, where they're not real games; they're glorified practices. Sure. And you know, you keep score some funky way where it's like, hey, this isn't a real game. Because I think the real, like, the other thing is, what if a coach on the hot seat he's had three years where he's you know so, and then all of a sudden you lose your spring game to a smaller school oh my mm-hmm. like you, you talk about a rough off season so i think there's some ways you could finagle that just like we do now you know like there's not a real winner you get points and it's just a you it all it is is a glorified practice like you don't have to have it a game with a kickoff i mean it's just and you could even do seven on seven like you do a couple days of practice or do you know do one big day of practice and it culminates with a, an audience that gets to watch a crowd and televised. Would you be opposed to, to FCS? No. Because then it's like great. a real scrimmage. Like, like you're not going to lose an FCS team, most likely. Right? Do we so, get to replace regular season games against FCS programs if that's the case? That, that was my suggestion all along to the people that said, what about the FCS when you said, I don't want them to play in the regular season game? Put them in the spring. I mean, they did it with COVID. They did try to do their whole season. You know? I would be open to that, but I would be 
100% against games against other FBS programs, not because I'm worried about injuries or any of that stuff, just because if we make spring games a bigger deal, we run the risk of I'm not able to watch the Masters one weekend because I've got to cover Auburn versus Troy in a spring game. Just a hundred percent honesty. Yeah, if you're an FCS program, you're you're really relying on that. Like I don't know what, uh, like whatever Auburn pays their FCS school that comes in in September, but it's probably what like seven fifty, seven hundred at least. Yeah, like that. Most of the FCS schools I think are not getting a million. Like if you want a powerful, if you want a, a an FBS school, it's usually going to cost you over a million. What are you paying for the spring game? Like if you're an FCS school and Auburn's like, hey, here's a hundred k. You're going to be like, ah, I can't do that, right? Not not going to work. Um, the other issue, too, and this is like, I know Sumrall and Dilfer were like, yeah, sign us up. But like, if you're, if you have like a young freshman, true freshman who balls out, you don't think, you know, Saban or Hugh Freeze is going to be like, hey, young man, what a great game you had, man. That was great. Like, let's stay in touch. You know, I mean, that's the other thing you would worry about, I think, if you're the smaller school is getting your best player potentially poached that no one knows about yet, they would see that player and potentially all of a sudden it's on their radar. Like that's a reality of where we are today too. Yeah. I had to consider that that would suck. <laughs> right. I mean, you got every, every FCS tube, every FCS player just looking at this, like, this is my chance. This is my chance to get out of non-compete. Like you need to sign like a non-compete for a year. Like we, we, you can't take them right after the game. You have to wait a full year. All right. Um, there were other spring games that went on this week, and we'll go over them pretty quickly. Maybe not spend as much time because we hate these schools. We just want to confirm that if we're talking about your team, we just game, like ratings. Yeah, we don't. <laughs> we don't like you. We don't like your school. We don't like your family. We don't like any of you. Uh, Kansas, Michael Swain, you wrote at the fog. He had some great updates for us this weekend from Kansas's spring game, which is probably the first time in a while a Kansas fan has been legitimately excited to see a spring game because they're coming off a good season. Exactly. So I did not get to watch this. Uh, two big takeaways here from, from Mike's article at the Fog, which is, I mean, just an awesome Kansas site. Uh, number one, defensive end and pass rush look like it could be a major problem. Uh, they He noted that they struck out on several uh, transfer targets before getting Patrick Joyner, and Joyner apparently arrived with some sort of injury thing that's still plaguing him, kind of helped a slow start there. So they may really have some problems. And uh, offensive line should continue to get better. Uh, Kansas Hill line last year I thought was well coached and uh, played maybe above its talent level. So that's uh, that's good to see for sure um, on the offensive line part. The no pass rush is obviously a concern. Yeah, especially in that conference. Yeah. Uh, what what can, what did you see or what have you read about some group of five spring games? Because I know there were some at UNLV, Boise, Trent Dilfer's first game at UAB. Any notes on those games to share? Well, were we really high on the idea to fire Marcus Arroyo? Like, I'm not really sure he was the best coach, but I was like, are we upgrading that much? Yeah, it was, it was kind of like, what were you expecting from, like, to get? But, you know. Did you see the quarterback decisions? I did. I saw the notes. I did not want to spoil it, but uh, I think you and I intercepted a pass. Yeah. yeah we, we, spring game. Tom, nice pick on that. A good, Thank good, you. Good return. I'll, I'll block for you. You block for me. We'll, we'll run it back six times. So mm-hmm. six picks. Uh, Doug Brumfield, who was uh, the starter last year for the most part, uh, they all kind of had injuries last year, with the exception of, I think, Harrison Bailey, who just wasn't very effective. Six of 16 for 102 picks. Harrison Bailey actually had a nice day. 10 of 18 for buck 69 and one. Uh, I don't know how to say this kid's name. Jaden Mayaba, Mayaba, Mieva, whatever it is. Mayaba is what I would Mayeva. Okay. 11 of 21, buck 51, three picks. Cam Friel, 0 for 3. So no picks. No picks. No, no yards. Um, that's not a great stat line it by most standards you know does uh, going over three but not throwing an interception move you up the depth chart of this game <laughs> i mean it's 58 passes for like you know 400 yards and six picks is some like very infant stages kentucky tries to run the air raid type stat line there mm-hmm. um, they got a five seven receiver who's pretty fun uh, Jacob De Jesus, ten catches for buck thirty six and touchdown, five foot seven. So we'll see. Um, Jacob of Jesus having a big game on Easter weekend. Who could have seen it coming? Can we talk about because it's, it's noon now? Can we talk about some really just bad quarterback play throughout uh, yeah. the the day? All right, 
Taylor Green, I think, is still a starter at Boise. He's still dynamic, uh, still erratic. Nine of 20, buck 76. That's a good yards per attempt. It's not a great uh, completion percentage. If you give me, you know, what is that? Eight and a half yards per attempt. If you give me that in the legs, I don't really care about the completion percentage within a reason. UAB, Trent Dilfer is a QB guru. Not really guruing yet, I would say, so far. Uh, 19 for 28 for Jacob Zeno for a buck 79, so not great. Obviously, everybody in the South had pretty significant weather issues over the weekend. I did not get to watch that one. East Carolina, um, Garcia threw 29 passes for 151 yards and two picks. He's the best of the starters, apparently, and their offensive line is having some problems. I am a little Jones, gone. Yeah, right. (laughs) Uh, Enemy of the pod. (laughs) Louisiana, I was going to watch your game and did not because both their top quarterbacks were out. So pointless. I feel like I'd learn a lot from that. Also, I'd like to at least acknowledge my family over Easter. And uh, the receiver, Smith, who transferred to UTEP or to A&M from UTEP, he was not going to win a starting job there because uh, they have three pretty good receivers there in College Station, and he's transferring back to UTEP. So that's actually pretty good news for UTEP. Good news for the Miners. Yeah. Yeah. That's really all I got, uh, unless I miss something. Maybe, maybe the is, comments will tell us. I guarantee you that is more notes than any other college football podcast will have about spring games this weekend, which is why we are the best college football podcast going. There is absolutely no need to listen to anybody else. <laughs> and on, you know what? People are saying it. I'm a better host than Chip. Everybody, everybody in the chat's been saying it all show, Chip. This is what you got. You got Wally Pip, bro. Sorry. Deal with it. Um, No, we miss you. Please come back. Uh <laughs> So yeah, Danny's already gone. So uh, for Bud Elliott, you can follow him at Bud underscore Elliott three, correct? Yep. There we go. Uh, no, no underscore. Excuse me. Just oh, Bud just Elliott. Bud Elliott three. Chip's the one with the underscore. Yep. You can follow me at Tom Fernelli. Bud, thank you very much. And John Cena, who followed me on Twitter this morning, big fan of the show, I guess. Thanks for that. John Cena. <laughs> See you on Wednesday, everybody. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck. Explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo. Thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. Kiss the Future. New documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount+, Plus to try it free. Terms apply.